Well, good morning, Coconut Creek. How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us today. And uh, man, we're, we're, we're going to kind of go a little backwards here. Uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking a lot about and how do we deal with everything that's happened in our community. I want to kind of jump back uh, a little bit. We were in a series uh, a couple of weeks ago called Arrows. And I want to dive back into that series because uh, I had a message that was prepared for that weekend, and uh, we changed everything. But I really still felt like over the last couple of weeks that, that that message is a necessary message for our church. And so if you, if you weren't here, if you haven't been here, let me kind of give you some premise of what's going on. Um, I believe that God has got an incredible future for all of our lives. Like there are some, some things that he wants to do inside of us. And most of all, I think deep down inside all of us, none of us want to live a life of regret. None of us want to get to the end of our lives and say, I wish, I wish I would have done this. I, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have accomplished this. And yet at the same time, so many of us end up going through life and the thing that we're wishing for is somebody else's life. Have you ever noticed that? Like, oh man, I wish I was living that person's life. And what's funny about that is that that person that you're wishing to live their life is doing the exact same thing with somebody else. Is we're all out there wishing for something, something more than what we're currently experiencing in our own lives. And it's almost like this compass that is within us is, is somehow skewed or broken and it's not taking us exactly the destination that we want to be in life. And so I, what the whole premise of the series Arrows was based on was based on this story in, in 2 Kings chapter 13. And I'm just going to tell it to you, and it all makes sense here, is that there's a king named Jehoash who is getting ready to go into battle. And, and during that time, if you wanted to know what was going to happen in battle, what you would do is you would find a prophet of God and ask them, hey, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm victorious in this situation? And so Jehoash finds this guy named Elisha who's at the end of his life and says, hey, I, I need you to come and tell me what I need to do to be victorious. And so he comes, Elisha comes to this king of Israel named Jehoash and he says, man, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get bow and arrows. And, and so the king brings in bow and arrows into his chamber and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an arrow and I want you to pull it back and I want you to shoot it through the window. Well, as the king brings the arrow back to shoot it through the window, Elisha puts his hands over the king's hand signifying that God is over the situation. The king shoots the arrow, goes through the window, out the window, and, and Elisha proclaims, listen, you're going to have complete and total victory over your enemies. Like, that's God's will. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for this situation. And so then Elisha tells the king, "Strike, take the rest of the arrows and strike them on the ground. And so the king takes the arrows and starts striking the ground and strikes the ground three times and stops. And when he stops, Elisha gets really angry at him and says, why did you stop striking the ground? You should have continued to strike the ground six times. And if you would have struck the ground six times, you would have had to complete and total victory over your enemies. But because you stopped, you're not going to. Because you did not, you will not accomplish everything that I have planned for you. In fact, you're only going to live a partial expression of the life you were created to live. Now, when I read that, like I empathized with the king because how many times in my life have I stopped short of what God wanted to do? 
I don't know about you, but have you ever been frustrated with God and been like, God, just tell me what you want me to do? Anybody ever gotten to that point? It's like, God, just give me the instructions and I will be obedient. And I kept looking at the story for like, did Elisha give the king instructions? Like, did he tell him a certain amount of times to strike the arrow? Did like, did I miss the number in there? And as I continued to look through this story, I was like, nope, nope, there's not a time that he told him to stop at three. I mean, like, wouldn't that have been the easiest set of instructions? Like, hey, don't stop at three. Keep striking until you hit six. Like, it's going to make a difference. It's going to matter in life. But he stops at three, and Elijah gets angry, and he holds him accountable for hitting six when he only hit three. And I'm like, well, that's not fair because he didn't even know. And, and sometimes I go through life, and I feel like, God, it doesn't seem real fair that you're holding me accountable for something that I don't know that I should do. And then when I don't do it, there's repercussions for me not doing it, what I didn't know to do. It's a vicious cycle right there, isn't it? Except Elisha knew. And if Elisha knew, what it tells me is that I can know. And if Elisha knew, then the king could have known. If Elisha knew, then you and I can know in life. See, throughout this story, Elisha was able to see something, see an opportunity see a path that the king couldn't see. I like to kind of equate it to the, the, the Tom Brady effect. If you're a fan of the NFL, you know Tom Brady is like the ultimate comeback story or like ultimate NFL story because Tom Brady was a sixth round draft pick and he has gone on to become all, arguably the greatest quarterback of all times. And, and, and all of those teams through rounds one through five, and even some through round six, passed on Tom Brady. And, and, and I wonder how many teams are thinking to themselves, where's my Tom Brady? Like, where, where's my Tom Brady? And he was right there, and his name was actually Tom Brady. But the Cleveland Browns couldn't see him, or any player for that matter. The Jets couldn't see him. I don't think the Dolphins even play football anymore. <laughs> but what's the deal? All these teams were looking for the next Tom Brady. But they didn't know what the next Tom Brady would look like. In fact, not even the Patriots knew what Tom Brady looked like. They waited until the sixth round to draft him because they ran out of other people they wanted. It's not like he wasn't right there. I mean, he played for Michigan, which is like an average university. It's not Notre Dame, but it's, it's okay. He wasn't like the most terrible quarterback. I mean, I think in the Orange Bowl his senior year, he threw four touchdown passes against Alabama. Like, he was, he was a legit guy. But my question is, is I wonder how many... Moments in your life have been Tom Brady moments, but you keep believing those moments are not yours. They just keep cycling through and cycling by, and we keep missing the moment that God has for each one of us. And if that's the case, what's going to change for us tomorrow? 
See, if you can look back on your life and you can know that you've missed some moments, what's going to change in your life? What's going to posture you differently for the opportunities that are yet to come into your life? This is why it's so important for us to start to reframe some of the way we think and how we live in life. And, and so uh, today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about setting our past on fire. And, uh, like, and, and there's some matches in your, in your worship gods. And so I'm not creating, trying to create a bunch of arsonists. That's not my goal. So you're like, what, what's the deal with him today? He's, he's got matches. And, and they're big matches. I mean, they're like, <laughs> they're, they hey, go big or go home. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but I think that there are some things that are holding us back. And for a lot of us, it's our past that's holding us back. It's keeping us from moving into the future that God has for us. And I think God is asking you right now, what is in your life that needs to turn to ashes and dust so that you can move forward into your future? What is it that you can't see right now that you need to see? And so I started looking at Elisha's life and I was like, what was it about his life and where was it in his life that all of a sudden it clicked for him and he was able to see what we couldn't see right now. And so as I started studying his life, I had to go back to the very beginning of his story in the Bible. It's actually found in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah encounters Elisha. Now, Elijah is a different guy than Elisha, but here it is in 1 Kings chapter 19 in your worship gods on the screen in your Bible. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. It's really this kind of abrupt, in-your-face beginning, uh, but really, really significant. And at this point, when Elijah arrives on the scene with Elisha, we really know nothing about him. We know nothing about his background. We know nothing about his upbringing. We know nothing about uh, where he's living. We just know that he's the son of Shaphat. And, and, and so, but what we do know is that uh, uh, Elisha is living his life, and Elijah just walks in and interrupts his life right in the middle of it. it. The Bible actually says he was out plowing his field with oxen. And so what we know from that is the fact that it wasn't just a single oxen, but it was multiple oxen, which tells us that, that he was probably a wealthy man. He probably owned some really large lands. He was an influential person in his community. And as he's out doing work, as he's out doing the normal day-to-day -day things, the things that he knows to do, Elijah come and interrupts his life, or better yet, God interrupts his life in that moment and basically says, follow me. Hey, I want you to come on a new journey, which, by the way, is how God works. God is not real interested in your schedule or your calendar. A lot of people are like, well, I'm going to, God, can you come back next Tuesday at four o'clock? I've got time for you. God's not interested in your schedule. He's not interested in your calendar. God will interrupt your life at any time he sees fit to help you figure out where your future is. It says, Elijah, in verse 19, it says, Elijah found Elisha, son of Shaphat, whatever his name is. I don't really know how it is. Snapchat, whatever. <laughs> Y'all can't say it either, so don't hate me, okay? 
says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he was hard at work doing life. And I think to myself, like, wouldn't it be awesome if God would give us some advance notice when he wants to do something in our lives? Like, God, give me three years and I'll get my life together and then I'll be ready for you. Because the fact is, is if God invited you to step into the life that is an, has an extraordinary future for you, the question is, is are you free enough to actually move into it? See, a lot of us are so indebted to our past that we have already mortgaged our future. We've already, we, because of the decisions that we've made in our past, it would take us months and years to unravel the life that we have created so that we could even move forward into the future that God has. So if God showed up and was like, hey, I've got a future for you, you'd be like, God, I need three months to take care of my miserable, meaningless life for the future that you have for me. It says Elijah came, and he says they threw his cloak around him, and it says then Elisha then left his oxen and ran after him, which is really obscure. How would you like it if you're just living your life, doing your thing, working hard, sweating for the women, sparkling, and some dude just throws his coat on you and then just walks off? Like, doesn't even give you time to process what's happening in life. Like, doesn't even give Elijah a chance, Elisha a chance to go, hey, what's happening here? Because Elijah knew something that Elisha did not yet know. Because he had been following God, and he realized that God does not stand still. God is continuously moving. And so if we're going to be following God, we've got to be continuously moving, following God. And so Eli Elijah throws his cloak on him, and he keeps going because God's going. He's basically saying, Elisha, are you coming or are you staying? See, there's some of you that are out there that are way too busy living your life to have time for the life that God wants for you. And you've wanted God to intervene and you've wanted God to intersect your life. And here's the deal. God keeps weaving his way through your life, inviting you into a future, and you keep saying, not right now, keeps going in verse 20. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. And this is in a highly empathetic moment on Elijah's part. He, he's basically like, man, I know you're so close with your mom and dad. It's okay. Go back and hang out with them. Spend as much time as you eat. No, he doesn't say that at all. See, we think we have all the time in the world, but what we fail to realize is that that time is burning up every second of our future when we have indecision, when we're waiting for another moment. Elijah's like, go back, do what you got to do. He actually says, what have I done to you? Because basically he's like, listen, I've just invited you into a future. It's your choice whether you want to walk into it. And so many of us, we want God to do something amazing in our lives. We want God to guide us into a new future, but we're holding on to the past. And because we're holding on to the past, we can't step into the future. See, some of you, you need to set your past on fire 
Because your past is actually burning up your future. And I want to be clear because a lot of times we, we talk about our past and there are some very negative things in our past that we do need to burn up. There's, some of us are walking around with some unforgiveness right now and it's a highly flammable material. Some of us are walking around with some bitterness in life and it's a highly flammable material. Some of us are walking around with, with some sin issues that we've been dealing with for months or years or decades and it's a highly flammable material and we know that we've it's got set on fire before and there's an explosion in life and and it's there's a lot of damage to be done and we need to deal with that stuff but this is not Elisha's case Elisha wasn't being held back because of his weaknesses or poor decisions or wounds or failures Elisha was actually living a pretty good life right here Elisha like was living the dream he owned lands, he had a business, he had servants, he had responsibility, he had a career, he had a life he was living. And it was a life he actually did have that could hold him back from the life he could have. See, if you think failure is hard to burn up, try success. Some of you are like, I would like to try success. That would be awesome. <laughs> you think poverty it's hard to leave behind. Try wealth. Again, some of you are like, I'll, I'll try, okay? <laughs> God. What I found, you know what steals your future most of the time? It's not the past failures. It's actually the past successes because our past was so good. It was so great, and we just want to hold on to that moment. I spent a lot of time as a, as a teenager in the Fort Myers area, and uh, I played AAU basketball with a, with a kid named Ted DuPay. Um, and, and Ted DuPay, uh, he was part of my AAU uh, under-16 basketball team. Ted DuPay ended up becoming one of the, the best basketball players the state of Florida has ever seen. In fact, he was the all-time leading scorer for the state of Florida for a number of years, was actually the first five-star McDonald's All-American to sign with Billy Donovan at the University of Florida. I mean, he was a big deal. And our AAU team was dominant, not because I was on it, but because Ted DuPay was on it. I mean, kid was a baller. And, uh, and, and Ted, everything he did when it came to basketball, I mean, he was a superstar. And I remember Ted, Ted lived in, in Cape Coral, and his, his dad was a doctor, and you would go over to Ted's house and in their living room was this huge fireplace. And on top of it was like all of the first place trophies Ted had ever won. It was like a mantle to Ted's life. It was like he was incredible. And then he had some siblings that weren't so incredible. And so their participation trophies were kind of like highlighted in there next to Ted's like domination trophies. And uh, I remember I was about 13, 14 years old. And uh, there was a fire at Ted's house. And, uh, and during this fire, it had melted it started somewhere near the fireplace. It was actually an electrical fire, and it had gone up, and it had burned all of his trophies. It, like, melted them all together. And so you couldn't see what trophy was what. And I went over to his house to see how he was doing um, and, and see how his family was doing with my parents. And I remember his mom was so distraught over these trophies. She's like, oh, I got to get you new trophies. It's like her life was being lived vicariously through her son. And I, I'll never forget this. At 13 or 14 years old, he, he literally told his mom, mom, if that's the best I can do in life, I don't ever want to remember that. I don't care about those trophies. 
It was that mindset that allowed him to win all of those trophies and be that dominant. It was that same mindset that was going to allow him to move forward into his future to dominate his future. Because those things were just a memory of the past. And I wonder for us, how many of us are trying to carry our participation trophies into the future because we're afraid that our future is not better than our past? How many of us are trying to carry unhealthy relationships from our past because we don't believe that there's a healthy relationship there in our future? How many of us are carrying a job that we hate and despise into our future because we're afraid that there might not be something better there? Nothing will hold you back like your past successes. In fact, they can hold you more powerfully than even your past failures. It continues in verse 20. It says, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Basically, he's saying, take care of your past because I'm inviting you into a future. So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, when I read this, I was like, what are you doing? Don't kill the oxen. Sell them. Like, that's the economical move. Like, you're going to need that money in your future. So don't kill those things. Like, isn't there like an eBay for plowing equipment back in the day? I mean, what's the deal? Like, you might need that in your future. But what does he do? He takes the oxen and he slaughters them. He takes the plowing equipment and he breaks it up and he builds an altar with it and he sets it all on fire. He literally sets his past on fire. And I'm thinking to myself, that isn't the smartest thing to do because you need a plan B. Because let's be honest, when we go through life, all of us have got a plan A and then we've got a plan B, right? And most of us, our our plan B, if we're really honest, is kind of God's plan. It's not that we don't love Jesus and we don't, haven't accepted him as our Lord and Savior. It's just that like, man, I've got a life I want to live. I've got dreams that I want to accomplish. I've got some things that I want to do. And if all that doesn't work out, then I've always got God to fall back on. And we kind of live our life that way. And it seems like our plans always fail. And so we fall back on God and then we come up with some new plan A's and going for it. But Elisha was a little bit different. See, Elisha was a man of success, and a man of success knows that if you have a plan B, you will always fall back to that other plan. And so he says, listen, I'm not going to have any other plan but God's plan, so I'm going to set my plans on fire, and I'm going to run after God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Elijah decided, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to run after that, and I'm going to set my course to that, that life, and I'm going to take the match, and I'm going to strike it, and I'm going to set my past on fire. I wonder what it is that you keep holding on to that in return is holding on to you today. I wonder what it is that God is telling you to take a match and strike it and set it on fire so that you can move forward into a new future. And what's amazing is that Elisha is so inherently generous with his past in fact because of his past his entire community celebrates his past at a feast 
My question for you is, is whose life is being impacted because of your sacrifice? Or are you still eating off the sacrifices of others? Listen, there's a time where you need to eat off the sacrifices of others. And I'm so thankful that I've gotten to eat off the sacrifices of others. But there comes a point in time where people need to eat off of your sacrifice. Where your life becomes a gift to other people. And I love how it wraps up. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha was a master. He was a businessman. He owned land. He owned pastures. He had authority to kill those oxen because he owned those oxen. He had the ability to burn that plowing equipment because that was his plowing equipment. equipment. He understood what it was to rule. He understood what it was to succeed. He understood what it was to have, and he understood the difference between something having him and him having something. So he gives up everything to step into the future he could not have unless he gives it to God. And so here's the big question for us all today. Is your past an anchor or is it an altar? Is your past an anchor or an altar? Are you allowing your past to hold you in your past, or are you using your past as fuel to propel you into your future? Are you using your past pain and your past fear and your past heartache and your past brokenness to hold you back from God's preferred future for you? Are you holding on to your past successes that are keeping you from what God wants to do in your life? See, I remember a little over 11 years ago, my life changed dramatically. For a long time, I, I, I've been on church staffs. I was working at a church called Bayside Community Church. And, and uh, man, God was doing some incredible things. We, we had just become one of the fastest growing churches in America. We were the largest portable church in America at the time. We were running like 3,000 and something people, five services in an elementary school cafetorium. It was crazy. And uh, all throughout my life, I'd been a behind-the-scenes guy. I'd been the guy that had been an administrator at that time. I was overseeing the group life, and, and one of the things that was helping our church be really successful at that time was our group life, and it was thriving, and it was, it was going so well, and, and, and I was literally living the dream in life. Like, if I could kind of choose my future, it was it. My wife and I, we just built our dream home. Uh, all of our family lived in that community. We, we had a great future all laid out for us in, in this moment. And uh, right in the middle of that, I remember my pastor came to me and said, hey, I need you to speak this Sunday. And I was like, hey, listen, that's not my deal. Uh, I, like, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. And he's like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're talking this weekend whether you like it or not. And I, I remember I was so scared to death, I didn't even tell my wife that I was speaking that weekend. Like, she showed up at church, and she's like, what are you doing up there? It's like, it's just like one of those awkward moments. And uh and, and I'll, I'll never forget, I, I spoke a message called Back Against the Wall. And that weekend, God really moved in our church in, in a profound way. And, uh, and, and I remember my pastor coming to me afterwards, Pastor Randy Bizet. He's going to be here in a couple weeks to, to speak to us. And, uh, and he was like, man, you're, you're called to do this. Let's, let, you're going to start doing this. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, yes, you are. And that was that. And so... Uh, <laughs> 
And so I started speaking, and I started getting all these invitations to travel around. All of a sudden, our life started expanding, and our influence started expanding out of me. We were, we were living, like I could not dream of a better life than what was happening in our life in that moment. And right in the middle of that, I remember God showed up to me on a little sabbatical I was on and said, it's time for you to pick up and leave where you are. It's almost like God was in that moment where he's throwing his cloak around me and he's like, hey, I'm moving on. What are you going to do? And I remember being in that moment and going, man, I, I have all this to lose, but I would rather lose all of this than lose out on what God has for me. And I remember we, we started selling our house and selling cars and emptying 401ks and, and retirement accounts and all of these things and, and selling our furniture. And, and, and we started loading up a U-Haul to drive to South Florida to come start a church in a place where we knew nobody and we didn't even like. Just being honest. It's like. People speak different languages. They honk at you before the light's even green. It's like, these people are not nice. I'm a Midwest guy. We're nice to people, and the people ain't nice here, you know? And so, uh, and I remember, I remember our families being like, what are you doing? Are you insane? And the reason we thought, they thought we were insane is because we had a past that was worth being our future. See, we weren't walking away from failure. We were walking away from success. We weren't walking away from a destructive life. We had everything we had ever wanted except for God's future that he wanted for us. We were like, man, we're going to strike the match and we're going to set it all on fire. Now, I remember we moved down here, and we, I was down here, and I found a house in Coconut Creek, and I'm like, babe, I found a house, and she's like, how much is it? I was like, $1,800 a month. She's like, we can't afford that. I was like, we can't afford anything here. <laughs> she's like, how are we going to pay for that? I was like, I don't know. We might as well get kicked out of this house. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just like... But my plan was just, I'm going to follow God. And I, I had this dream in my heart to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they could experience, so they could know, and so they could follow Jesus. And I've never regretted for one moment setting my past on fire. I've never regretted for one moment giving up what other people thought was success for the future that God had for me. Because if you think it's hard to walk away from failure, walk away from success. But if your past is your best future, you are already done anyways. Because no matter what has ever happened, no matter what God has done in your past, no matter how much you've succeeded or accomplished, it's not worth losing the future that God has for you. And I think sometimes it's a mindset shift because for a lot of us, we go, well, I've already sacrificed, I've already given, I've already done those things. I did that before. But it says, it says, 
Elisha set out to find Elijah and became his servant. Want to know why? Because that's how God works. Every time he tries to move you up, he brings you down. Every time he wants to call you to something greater, to something more, to being a better leader, he calls you to become a greater servant. And Elijah could have said, no, 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 I'm going to keep my little kingdom. But what he would have missed out on is serving God and following God. And there's some of you here that your past is an anchor, and today it's time to turn that anchor into an altar. It's time to turn your past into an altar, and it's not an altar until you set that thing on fire. In fact, I don't even think God just wants you to turn it into an altar. He wants your life to be an altar. He wants your entire life to be a sacrifice. And, and God simply says, is saying, man, I want you to be the sacrifice. That we would be like the prophet Jeremiah when he, when he would say, man, that I might never mention the Lord or speak in his name. His words would burn within my soul. That they would be like a fire shot up in my bones that I'm worn out trying to contain because my heart and my life is on fire. And God, whatever you want, whatever you need, God, everything is yours. I am your sacrifice, God. And I'll give it all to you. And if you burn it all down, I believe that you'll build it all again. As I was reading this story, it got me thinking about Elisha and Elisha sacrificing all that and how Elisha's sacrifice erupted generosity. And I started thinking about, like, why in the world did God incorporate this process for people that follow him called tithing. Like a lot of us, we understand giving, and, and, and so giving makes sense to us, but tithing is completely different. It's saying, God, I'm going to give you the first 10% of what I have. But what I realize is there's a big difference between tithing and giving. See, giving is based on need. So I see a need and I give towards it. And I hope that every single one of us becomes a giver in our life. That when we see needs, that we will reach into our pockets and help meet those needs. But tithing is completely different. Tithing is not based on a need. Tithing is based on an honor. See, giving is based on, God, I need you. Tithing is based on, God, I realize that everything in life is yours. All that I am and all that I have and all that I've accomplished is yours. It's saying, man, God, I'm making a declaration that you are first and foremost in my life. See, and, and then I started to realize why tithing is so hard for people. Because what happens is if we start looking at our life and what we've accomplished and what we've done and we said, I can't give God 10% of what I've done. And what we start thinking is that we have done all of this, that we have accomplished all of this, that we, were, we created those gifts, we created those talents, we created those opportunities and therefore it's all mine when the reality is, is that it's all his. And God's saying, man, I want you to be my sacrifice, but we're the only sacrifice that keeps crawling off the altar. And God isn't asking us to have a possessive life. He hasn't called us to be livers of life that think that our life is all about ownership, but we got to realize that our life is all about stewardship. 
Somehow God has given us this incredible life and, and these things aren't our own and he doesn't, he's going to give us wonderful things, but they should never own us. See, and I love that Elisha saw everything in his life as a gift from God. So when God said go, he was ready to go. And so I wonder if you're good to go. If you can say all that I want, all that I have, all that I will ever be God is yours. And if you ask me to break up my life and, and build an altar and strike the match and burn it all down, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because here's the deal, church. God can't trust you with your past. How can he trust you with his future? So maybe it's time you set your past on fire. And when you set your past on fire and create your life as an altar, he uses that altar to light the way for others. Some of you here, you're trapped by your past. And Jesus wants to set you free today. But here's what you have to realize is that the match is in your hands. See, God gives freedom, but it starts with our choice. So strike the match. Set it all on fire. Would you guys bow your heads and pray? I believe that Jesus wants to give you new life today, but there isn't...